Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of How Did This Get Booked? I, of course, am your host, Jake Manning, and I have been a veteran of the professional wrestling business for almost 13 years now. I've held just about every job except selling popcorn in the industry of professional wrestling. And I'm joined by my co-host, my tag team partner, a man who is 0-1 in bar fights that are filmed <laughs> at Monday Night Raw. That's right. Zane Riley. How you doing, Jake? Good. How are you, Zane? Very sore. I went through a wall on TV. <laughs> Still haven't gotten the paycheck yet. No, man. When that paycheck comes, you will not see me for a week. And the funny thing is, I was there too. I didn't go through a wall. <laughs> Probably getting paid the same. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm going to use my big WWE check to say, fuck all my friends for about 10 minutes. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of friends, we have another friend is long for the ride, as we always do, a non-wrestling fan. Uh, you might recognize her, her voice, from, <laughs> say, <not> <laughs> from, uh, from my other podcast, Stranger in the Southern Land, uh, improviser, producer, extraordinary mm. individual and talented all around, Glennis O'Donoghue. How Hi. are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about something I have... Not too much experience with, but... Well, that's why you're here. You're a non-wrestling fan. I want your opinions on that, and we've picked a doozy for you. <laughs> for sure. This this is diving in. This is pulling behind the curtain. This isn't just a wrestling show. This is gutting of a fish, if you will. <laughs> At least in yeah. 1997, yeah, so, yeah. when this was filmed. But before we dive headfirst into this uh, discussion of Beyond the Mat, what are your impressions of professional wrestling what is your exposure to it of your life prior to watching this documentary so i grew up uh, i was a kid in the 90s so i know who i knew who hulk hogan was um like he was a big deal even as a child i had a awareness of him you saw the sex tape you're well uh, oh no not as a child but um i have a vivid memory of him like at the end of some tv show being like stay in school no god i know this was a Different TV show. Sorry, it just totally circles back around the sex tape. With it really, it now. really does. It yeah. colors every all my memories. Um, Mostly night vision. You know? Yeah, night yeah, vision. exactly. Um, <laughs> and I know who The Rock is. Okay. And um, related to Dwayne Johnson. Yes, yes. It was, I was very excited when he when I saw him on the movie. Um, and my husband was very into wrestling when he was a kid. He's not um, a wrestler or anything, but he had a notebook where he would create his own characters and like when I even just mentioned this podcast to him he lit up and was like talking about bushwhackers and like all the like doing like walking around our house and like showing me walks and moves and I was like this <laughs> is arms here and then yeah. they step you lick 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 um and so yeah he is full of knowledge that I didn't even know so this podcast has shown me a side of my husband we, we've shown you part of your marriage right <laughs> who he really is inside um, so yeah that's kind of it I I, I did know it was like a super uh, theatrical um, medium or you know because I'm a performer and I'm in theater so I appreciated that it's spectacle and uh, about kind of a live event which I dig now what is your exposure to crack cocaine 
So far, none. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave this place a changed woman. Yeah. Um, yeah, no exposure to crack cocaine directly. I mean, I mean, it's been around. Um, <laughs> heard of it. <laughs> heard of it. Uh, seen the effects of it. I've heard the message by, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 gosh, what's the name? Why am I blanking on old school hip hop? I hate myself. Uh, Grandmaster Flash yeah. and the Furious Five. There we go. Yes. You, you, you've, you've at least listened to that song. Yes, That's yes, your exposure yes. to crack cocaine. Okay. Yeah, when Jake the Snake showed up and all that started happening, I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Did your husband watch this with you? No, he didn't. Partially because he's an improviser and a very funny person. So I thought wow. when I was watching it, it was more like, oh yeah, this is going to be like Rift Track. So I didn't want to watch it with him to like, you know, I was like, I just want to write down my impressions and not jack his jokes or like, you know, have bring things in that are wrestling related. That I, I mean, if you want to hire a writer who just happens to be <laughs> no. a husband, I think that's fine. I think that's uh, I mean, within the. Maybe the we should agreement. look into that. that uh, okay. Yeah, like especially some of our past guests, I could <laughs> they could use a little punch up, like. right, a, little, a little help. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't watch it with him. Um, he he kind of like was hovering around when I at the beginning, but then he was like starting to tell stories again. I was like, you can't. You get out of here. <laughs> you need to go. You're soiling my experience. Yeah, so I, I bet he'll watch it later. I'm probably gonna make him because I I had a really strong reaction to it, so I want to watch it again. Um, Wow. So we'll, no. tell you, we'll tell you what, I'll give you the director's cut. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they can I, watch that. <laughs> yes, because let me, uh, to let people know how they can watch this if they haven't already, mm-hmm. funny little story about that. Normally what I do in a situation is if it's something that's, you know, copyrighted as opposed to forcing you guys to pay to watch this, you know, or ordering it on Amazon and having to wait for it to show up or trying to track it down where you look for it. Sometimes what I do is I just rip a copy of it, upload it as an unlisted video, and then email you guys a link. Which I did, but then YouTube uh, pulled it, even though it was unlisted. And then I'm like, I wonder if this is out here for free somewhere. And it's on YouTube, and it's got a million views. And the person who has it had ads on it, so he was obviously getting revenue from it. (laughs) But me, a guy who's just having it unlisted, who had two views at the time, (laughs) was pulled by WWE because of copyright reasons. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Good day, YouTube. I say good day. So I gave you, so the quality, so what I gave you was the regular version, and it was a little bit lower quality. I was hoping to get you something a little more high quality to watch, because once you put it full, full screen, it's rather grainy. But... Anybody who wants to watch it for free, it's on YouTube, on two different YouTube places. <laughs> and most people, at least wrestlers, have seen this movie before. Just not Jake Manning's YouTube. Yeah, just not on my, my, my YouTube page. But moving right along, I, I, I must give the particulars like I always do. And just like like I do a wrestling show, it's a little bit different because it's a you know, documentary, it's a movie. Uh, of course, it is entitled Beyond the Mat. As everybody knows, it was directed, written, narrated, and produced by... Barry Blaustein, which we've heard in the, the locker rooms for years. It's all that damn Barry Blaustein ruined the business or made me look like shit in this Beyond the Mat documentary. Aww. Always, always heard his name in a negative connotation, <laughs> which is funny because this particular documentary has an 82% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's pretty much the best thing we've ever put on here. Absolutely. <laughs> also, rave reviews and, and like film festivals. Um, also, too, I believe, I'm trying to, oh, its budget was uh, half a million dollars and its box office was two million dollars. So it is very much a success. Nice. All, of that went All to the way around. Crack. Yes. <laughs> it was released in October of 1999. And actually, WCW was asked to be a part of the documentary, but they refused. <laughs> 
They're too good. They were too good, apparently. And actually, they were, you know, Vince gave, you know, full access through the whole thing and, you know, was like, hey, great. Yeah, this is good. And I even remember the ads running on Monday Night Raw. But then after they saw a viewing of the documentary, I guess Linda said that this is bad for the WWE and it's painting us as a very violent promotion and not the fun violence that we're trying to promote. Which I don't think that's what fun violence wasn't what they were going for in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like it captured it just accurately. No, um, also, too, I should list that some of the other producers on this documentary was Barry Bloom, which is notable agent for a lot of people in WCW and, and high level guys. Also, too, Ron Howard and Brian Glazer were attached. Mm, to no this way. Thing. Yes. So Obi did this. Yeah, it was probably. I think it was because it was a part of their their production company. Hence, like, oh, it's put our names on it so they can get into more locations and more screens and put out there. So um, a lot of people tried to avoid the cameras. The Stone Cold Steve Austin tried to avoid the cameras as much as possible. That's only why there's one little scene and he just happened to be the hottest thing at the time, but he wanted no part of this documentary, but everybody else is very welcoming. But also too, once Linda would get pissed about it, a lot of the ads got pulled and they were, they were going to go to a lawsuit about it. And they, and Vince forbidded anybody to, you know, do advertising for, but Mick Foley, a man of his word, went on Larry King to advertise it. So. Oh, you guys, Mick Foley. This was like the biggest takeaway from this movie for me was a raging crush and attraction to <laughs> Mick Foley. Like, well, what is it? Please tell me this because you are not, don't feel alone in that because I've seen him in a locker room and like, you know, some of the most attractive women have, have just like gravitated towards him and his wife is a former model. Yeah. You know, like he, what is it that attracts you to him? I don't know. Like he was just on screen. I'm, I'm looking, I have notes of when I was watching it. Um, but like he had no front teeth for his interviews and I was like, oh yes, that man. Um, he just seemed, he's one of those people that just seems very open and warm and He's being who he is. Um, some of the stuff that happened in the movie made me upset, but he seemed like a genuine person. Um, and he just had these big brown eyes and the fact that he's happily married, which I don't know what that says about me, but I'm like, yeah, that makes you more attractive to me. Because <laughs> like, I'm miserable. Because <laughs> no, 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 no. I want to take that away from you. <laughs> I want to destroy it. Uh, no, that was, I don't want to destroy it, but like he, you know, he's, a loving dad and a partner and just seemed like a whole human being as opposed to, and I know, and I know none of that reads on stage. Like that's not his persona, but seeing in, you know him in the interviews, that's what I saw. And he seemed very like playful and to enjoy what he did, which in, I think in any profession shows if you like what you're doing. Um, he seemed to love it. I mean, the, the, the end scene. He has a passion. Yeah. You know, he's a very kind individual, very funny, very relaxed, confident in himself and secure in himself. Yeah. Um, you know, it's too brown eyes, I guess help. So if you have blue eyes, you're screwed guys. (laughs) My husband has blue eyes and I love him very much. (laughs) (laughs) For the record. Let me preface with that. But if you're listening and I'm sure you are. I want to dive into those big brown <laughs> eyes and just stay there forever. I will buy yep. you new front teeth. Yep. <laughs> if that's what you want. That's my true. love. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, with, with, the, with the WWE, uh, well, WWF at the time, it's, it, that will happen multiple times mm-hmm. in the middle of this. That's kind of the jumping off point. And Barry Blaustein was able to walk through the front doors of Titan Towers, which, you know, very... Revolutionary at the time, seeing this as documentary, the, the somebody gets to walk in through Camelot, basically. Mm-hmm. Like I've, 
you know, when you're driving up 95 or up there through Stanford, Connecticut, you can see it from the interstate. So it's this big ivory tower, this house on the hill from wow. a distance. And being a wrestling fan, you've always seen it. And, you know, I've done many deliveries dropping on ca- off canvases to a warehouse. They wouldn't even let you get close to Titan Tower. They have like a warehouse off site and they have just like all kinds of things in it in just random warehouse and just like it's the mecca you know what i'm saying like being able to walk into old yankee stadium into steinbrenner's office it's basically the type of clearance that barry blaustein was able to get with this documentary so yeah like i think that's quite remarkable and 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 seeing it in 97 is very much a time capsule for sure yeah <laughs> like and just the the uh, the thing that I always got when I first watched it was the woman that was going, hello, welcome to the BBF. Hello, welcome to the BBF. Yes. And at first I was like, is that her only job? <laughs> yes. I was like, who is, is she actually helping anyone on the phone? Yeah. I had the exact same thought. I still don't know. Like 15 years after this movie came out, I still don't know. Someone must have been like, okay, they're going to be shooting. So look really busy. And we just want it to seem like we can't even handle the number of calls <laughs> coming in right now. Pretend this is a, a hub of just wrestling information. Yes. yes. And go. And she's not even saying, I'll transfer you yeah, too. Just, she's like, hello, welcome to WWE, and click. Yeah. <laughs> just hangs up on them. Like, is that her job? Is just wrestlers calling all day, and yeah. she's just right. hanging up just on them? Just one guy trying Which, to get an answer. <laughs> trying to tell somebody's dead, and this, this lady's just shutting him down the door. Luke Gallows calling <laughs> when he's like 13 years old. Can I talk to Dom, Dom, Tom Burchard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how some guys it's got It's all I'm here. <laughs> and yeah. I noticed, too, like, they... You kept hearing her as they were walking through different parts of the office. So, like, they had clearly walked away from her, but they were like, no, keep it as, like, a... Keep that audio. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Give it some more hustle and bustle, even though there's just cubicles everywhere. Exactly. She was actually just turning on the intercom instead of hanging up. (laughs) I'm getting the movie all as much as I can. (laughs) Because they tried to make it look more interesting than what it was. They were like, oh, what's in this door? Oh, it's just a regular office. What's in this door? It's just a regular office. (laughs) (laughs) What's in this door? Oh, just the copy room. Somebody take out your wiener. Somebody do something. (laughs) Why are these people in gold gym sweatshirts that are cut off right around here and here (laughs) walking around? It's the most interesting thing about it. And of course, the the interview with Vince, like there's only a few clips of it, but like there's still this quote that that, that bothers me, where he's like, you know, you know, to make it very clear what we're all what we're really about. Dot dot dot. Making movies. I we're like have the same brain right now because yeah. I wrote that down and it's like that's what we really do. And I wrote next to that, really? <laughs> Is that what you're doing? Me too. That's what I wrote. I wrote really too. <laughs> I won't really too on my piece of paper. I did a puzzle while I watched this. Movie. <laughs> I didn't write anything. He can, yeah, he, he, I, I'm working on a really nice Marvel Funko Pop one thousand piece puzzle. Uh, but I've seen the the bit of art before. So. Yes. Yeah, but make movies from the yeah. same company that did the Marine, <laughs> see Marine no Two, see no evil. <laughs> also, too, Vince McMahon, the brain trust that wrote No Holds Barred. Yeah. Him, him no and all, way. Him Believe and it. Him and Hulk Hogan locked themselves in like a hotel room for 24 or 36 hours and wrote No Holds Barred. Just a bunch of drugs. Yeah, just powered right through. Filmed a sex tape. Banged it out. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we haven't seen that one We yet. haven't seen that one. That, that, that might have been in Titan Towers. They might have like, that, that was in the next it. office and they just went down the hallway. Yeah, one more. Just one more room and you just seen Hogan and Vince just. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, like. That's the thing. We're about making movies. Well, why'd you come up with the XFL shortly after this? <laughs> this is my question. You know, it seems like you're more about like trying to make money to start a new football promotion like that. <laughs> like you were still a couple years away from making movies. 
So yeah, that it still strikes me odd, but looking back on it, I think it's very funny. But you get to see the the pieces of the machinery, of the production. You were saying, you know, you working in production, you can see yeah. the live show put together. What were your thoughts on 1997 WWF and th- the things they were doing? Well, I actually wrote. I was instantly depressed about the uh, as a producer because that's part of what I do. Uh, how elaborate the budget and the departments were. Like they have money for music and costume, and it's like. Man, if I could have a like a sliver of that budget, I could get so much done. So it was, I was impressed, and um, I just you know I didn't know how much went into it, but I was pretty impressed that you know it's a big theatrical event. You know, they, I don't I don't know how many people they employed. They talked about the one billion dollars. I wrote uh, one billion dollars. Holy crap! <laughs> like, that's a huge industry. Well, that but that's even then. Now I don't even want to think about it. Like what it is now, and just I made jest of it in your intro, saying just that little bar scene that was shot on Monday Night Raw. Jesus! Like they built a fake wall. They had professional stunt people. They had stunt glass. They had you know cameras, lights. They rented out a bar that was in the epicenter. Oh my god! For an entire day, and how much did you rehearse for that? Like how, that's what uh, I always wondered. We wonder got about there stunts. at three thirty. We started. Uh, we got there at three thirty. They got there about four thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we probably. Got really going, like everybody in there, about five, and then we we got done at seven fifty. Mm-hmm. So like, so do you two but, and a half hours of of the whole deal? But that that whittled down into like a three four and a half minute shot. How do they like prep you for getting thrown through a wall though? Do you like? Hey man, you want to go to that wall? <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, I have all well, this. Really? This well, like, but as as a wrestler, you've you've had a hardcore match and you fought around, so right. we're almost like. We're only a couple steps away from stunt people anyways. And when the person you're fighting is also a wrestler, there's a certain language of knowing where your body's going to be. So, like, that communication's already out the door. Like, you've already got the same communication of fight training. Right. You know, like, if you go to, like, a, like a fight training at this place and a fight training at this place, it might not be exactly the same. Or in pro wrestling, it is the same. And the thing that, you know, they went through a couple of takes, but then the fight part was in one take because they only had one wall. Yeah. And, right, and, and the thing can't... is that they finished up right as the sh- while the show was starting. Mm-hmm. So they had to get it done and then edited and then put on the show. But then just the, the, the thought of the amount of money that they put into yeah. just a, a really a three-minute thing mm-hmm. that was just to get guys over for a, a little bit or, or expand a story on television could have cost them anywhere from ten to $20,000. And these guys, that's all you saw them on that show. Like, they weren't like... And then they also had a match afterwards. No, they they were brought to Charlotte just to do this. Wow. And and that's, like... That right there just is a, you know, a little bit of it, too. Like, it's far much larger than it is right now. Like, this is right before they became a publicly traded company. And there was an injection of money into right. it. And it became as large as it is now. Like this is just coming out of almost a dark period for them as well. When they weren't number one, when WCW was kicking their ass. So for them to be doing as well as if you were being impressed with them now, you're talking 10, maybe 20 times better even now. Dang. So it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. And it is a nice little time capsule. And we'll get into some other notes of that later on. But one of the things that this is pretty legendary for is the meeting with draws. Mm-hmm. What was it, what was your your thoughts of the meeting with Drossy coming up with a character being somebody that works with characters? Oh my gosh, <clears throat> I felt I felt so sick sick watching that, and not from a like ooh gross throw up stance, but I felt 
because I'm an actor, I've been in a lot of auditions, and you guys know auditioning is hard because, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of these people in this room. But I felt like I was watching an audition for, like, some sort of, like, sex act when Vince was like, yeah, you gonna throw up? You gonna throw up? <laughs> well, and I was like, uh, oh my god, like, I you, felt... You know what I was gonna ask you to do, right? Like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, if you had not been watching visually, it could have been, like... And it's right over here. Right, exactly. The Don't get audio. any on my table there. <laughs> the audio sounds like... Don't get any of my hair either. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It sounds like a pornographic audition. Um, I just felt badly for him. And I, I laughed when he was like, you're going to be puke. But not just puke. Puke. <laughs> Which I was like, is that six U's? Like, what's the difference between those two Can you spell that phonetically? Yeah, exactly. So it made me feel, like, badly for him. And then I know his... Fate later is revealed in the movie, but I just, I don't know. It made me feel bad, like, because I've been in a lot of auditions. I've seen a lot of bad auditions, but I just felt dirty afterwards. Like, I felt badly for him because I feel like in a lot of entertainment, the talent is exploited. And that was like a little snippet of Mm -hmm. this guy who is, you know, I don't know him, not super bright, had a failed football career and is like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. You yeah, know, <laughs> and I, you know, it's it's always hard to watch someone kind of. I don't know if he was compromising himself, but he was just like, yeah, yeah, sure, Vince McMahon, I'll do that. You know, and it just felt a little icky to me. I don't know. Did what you did see you? his facial hair? I don't think. Ooh, he was yeah. compromising. <laughs> I think this is the best he could do. Yeah, he wasn't compromising anything. Right. He was a. Well, yeah, one just, thing when he was a football player, he. I think he had a similar issue that I had in college, and I'll get to that in a second, is he had, he had a propensity to like vomit when he would get overly excited, and he vomited on the ball one time, on, I believe on Monday Night Football, and he was a center. So he's ready to hike the ball to the quarterback, and he oh, vomits no. on the ball. So like, like that was like a big thing, and that's where he got the name puke and yeah. the ability to do that. And when during that scene, Vince McMahon said, I wrote it down because it stuck to my ear. It was like after you regurgitated on the refer like on somebody or the referee itself, he called the referee it in that mm-hmm. sentence and I was like Well they are. Oh yeah, well they're not, are they really they're not real people. Is that yeah. like is that they're like all the, holograms? They're all holograms. <laughs> <laughs> no, is that is that a thing in wrestling? Like refs are kind of scenery no. or no. not no, expected? Trust me. Oh, okay. trust me, we have, when you have a bad one, you appreciate a good one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, you want to puke on them and you wish they were a hologram <laughs> right. and or a football. Mm-hmm. Right. We used to run wrestling shows one time where we didn't have referees because, in the words of my wrestling trainer and who was the promoter of the show, he goes, "They just get in the way." And then, of course, uh, Charles Robinson, senior official for WWE, right now walked in just randomly at the mm-hmm. show because he knew my promoter, wrestling trainer George South, and he goes, "Why is there no referee in the ring?" And I go. George thinks they get in the way. Oh my God. <laughs> you know the thing you do for a living? Yeah. The guy who trained you doesn't think it's it's, it's obsolete. <laughs> Just let you know. <laughs> but no, once I said, when you get a good one, you know it. When you get a bad one, you really know yeah. it. So. And are, are refs usually people who have wrestled? Is it? I mean, like at the end, they had the... Depends. Little... They've been around it for a long time. The better ones seem to be ones that used to wrestle. Okay. They, they know what not to do. And, you know, it usually works out that way sometimes. But there are people that jump right in and do it. And mm-hmm. great. And they're fantastic. You know, but sometimes they get to be, like, gophers a lot. You know, because they're just trying to, like, oh, set up chairs, set up the ring, do this. Because it's just, like, it's exploitive as well. You know, you can right. be replaced just very easily. So. But, yeah, uh, have him having to puke on command. So. Oh, Which I used to be able to do. 
Cool. Believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I. Cool. You like a job, Jake? <laughs> well, no, like, well, I, that's the thing. Like, this was only a few years after that, and I, and I remember this because, like, I when I was in college and I was a, a track athlete, my my coach was awful, and he made us work like I spent sixty hours a week, sixty eight hours a week oh training for shot putting, and we had to get up at five in the morning and and power lift. Well, getting up that early and powerlifting, I would build up lactic acid. And so I would, like, between sets, have to go to the bathroom and vomit, just just bile and just, and then oh. I grease the pipe so much yeah. that I could just do it on command through probably the first two years of college. And I could just, like, people, I'd be at parties and just freak people out. <laughs> <laughs> I, could puke. Yeah. I could have been puke. I could have been puke. But he could have been puked now, too. So. Yeah, I mean, he's not. <laughs> but anyways, after, after we transition through the, the WWE, they get to APW uh, and Roland Alexander. Now we're more on the level that's that's pretty similar to what me and Zane do on, on a weekly basis of talking of the area of no money. You make 25, which when Roland was saying you make no money doing independent wrestling, you make 25, 125, mm. and it was 300 if you're good. Rates have still been about yeah. that. that that's so still, that hasn't changed. That's yet. that's pretty similar. <laughs> that's, where's those one twenty five paydays? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm still a far away, still a decent away from it. Caleb is probably closer to that right now. There's a couple of our very good friends that are at the three hundred range, but yeah, we're still kind of in between that twenty five and one twenty five right now range. But those are pretty accurate even now today. Wow. So like that hasn't changed and you know the, the the famous quote about reading labels and everything else like that that whole talk is going on all across the country. Wow. All given by really fat, grotesque men. Yeah, I was like, they must really love a chubby accountant, like, <laughs> lecturing them on nutrition. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I think that guy was bullshitting anyway, so. Yeah. I loved the transition into that moment, too. It's, it was like, how do you become a wrestler? The same way you become a doctor. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you go to a chubby accountant and he wants a $500 deposit. Right, exactly. <laughs> At least the doctors right. I'm seeing these yeah. days. Because I have a very bad health insurance policy right now. Yeah, oh my gosh. So. I was like, is that? I had a lot of like, is that how that goes moments? <laughs> That's exactly how you become a doctor. Yep. And then that, of course, is this is the moment in time where we get introduced to Tony Jones and Mike Modest. Yeah. You know what are your what were your impressions of Tony Jones and Mike Modest? Well, I this? well I really um what was the name of the chubby accountant? Roland Alexander. Roland. Well, and he got emotional talking about them not having contracts. That was a moment in that when I was watching, I was like, oh wow, he. At least can pretend, or you yeah. know, it, it felt genuine to me, and it was interesting to watch. But I, I, you know, the two of them kind of hit me where I live because I know that feeling. I know that like I just need a chance. I just need to get in front of the right people. Um, and he was talking about who is the smaller one? Mike Modest. Mike Modest, like he's like wasn't big enough to be a heavyweight, isn't small enough to be a flyer. And as an actor, like I, you know, it's the same kind of industry where it's like, well, you're too brown to be a leading lady and you're too fat to be, you know, like the romantic interest. And it's that weird thing. Like I hate, like my heart like broke watching them be put into these boxes that they really have no control over. Um, but it was interesting to see their audition. And um, during their audition, somebody was talking about stealing one of their moves. And I had this moment where I was like, that's probably a thing. Like that's a oh, thing, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Like you see, it. I mean, it's, it's the same in performance. Like if you see something that's cool, you took it in your brain for later, mm -hmm. but that would make me so mad if, you know, 
Yeah. I saw somebody else do my move. <laughs> Especially for the two of them where it's like this huge mm-hmm. moment for them, this huge opportunity. And I hated when uh, Vince was like, I got to go send me a tape. You know, it's like <laughs> the most important day of their career. And he's like, Which, I got to go. That even wouldn't have been set up if it wasn't <laughs> this documentary. Yeah. Exactly. Probably. That, would, that even moment in itself wouldn't even exist. Yeah. You know, like, the, you know, I the one dark match that I saw, nobody saw it. Nobody pitched it. Nobody said anything about it. It's almost like it didn't happen. <laughs> like, I wrestled in front of how many thousands of people at the RNC Stadium in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it's like it never happened. Right. It's like never a ghost happened. match. <laughs> and nobody was out putting it, like, like now, you... It's you, all a fucking hologram. Yeah, well, like, like now, like, you know, if anybody, like, in the, like... Just even the people in the background of, of this last Monday with, with your bar fights being like, oh, I was here. Oh, I'm so glad that this person was in the background. This person in the background. I wrestled in front of thousands and so nobody even knew what happened. Yeah. Like, like that's 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 the thing too. Like if, if these cameras weren't there and, and a lot of this was set up because of the documentary, not the, 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 to discredit Mike, Mike Modest or, or Tony Jones and stuff like right. that. But also too at this time, you know, I would even say like someone like Mike Modest where they say you know, he's too small, you know, to be heavyweights or you know, that that analogy. That paradigm hasn't been broken up to like the last two years. Really? Like I, I think like now if, if someone like Mike Modest came around with a reputation or something like that, it, it, you know, like, yeah, sure, he's good. We'll just put him on NXT and he'll be there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's put him on the fast track. And yeah, sure, opportunity. He's good. He's great. Let's set him down there and he's in our developmental system. Wow. And it's just that easy right now. Where back then, like – it was utterly impossible for someone like him. And also too, the fact that, you know, he had someone like Crash Holly was, who's about roughly about the same size. Yeah. There's already somebody like him that was, didn't fly around, you know, and he was, he was too small to be a heavyweight. So they yeah. already had that guy, you know? Yeah. And him working with the funeral uh, parlor, like watching him move the bodies around. That was like an extra, like, smack of emotion for me where I was mm-hmm. like oh you know he's doing this all day like he's literally moving mm-hmm. dead bodies around so that he can like live his dream of mm-hmm. moving live bodies around I don't know yeah, like, of, <laughs> of slamming living yeah and, right. and, and sleeping in the apartment above the gym which my biggest thing when I saw uh, Mike Modest was you need to clean your fucking room right? <laughs> <laughs> you know they're coming you were messy as shit you couldn't even get out of bed for this mm-hmm. a lot of people are in bed in this movie <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of bed there's, talking there's in this There's a whole movie. lot of like, I'm just going to lay in this bed, Hasselhoff style, if you don't mind. <laughs> Jake the Snake Roberts, yeah. Mick yeah. Foley. Terry Funk's in the bed. Terry Funk's in the bed. Tidy Waddy Dong, just rock and oh rolling. Oh my god, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, which, that, 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 that'll be the next thing. Some curse all this shit. Get in bed, get in bed. <laughs> well, he's like, I want you to feel natural and comfortable. And they're like, I feel comfortable in bed. And he's like, okay, that's good. <laughs> which that Terry Funk getting out of bed scene, like... That that hits me emotionally. That, that hits me emotionally because that's my, that's my uh, that was me this morning. Yeah. Like that was just a fight for me every day. Yeah. Like I kept anytime Terry Funk did something on this movie, I my girlfriend kept my girlfriend was walking in the background, um, not to be like spying, spying like oh what are you doing? Oh this is cool. Like you know she's a pro wrestler, she hates it. She just walk in and be like oh this is what's going on, and then would leave. Mm-hmm. But it just happened to me when Terry Funk was like getting out of bed. I go look babe, they filmed me get out of bed. <laughs> I was like, I've seen this before. I've seen this before, yeah. That's that's you, all right. So, But yeah, uh, anything more we need to say about Tony Jones other than the fact that he needs to get something a little bit more flattering yeah. work on the size oh, of his I upper know. body? Tony said that, like, what, you mean like tits? Or like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? 
but just very straightforward. But that's in a situation like that's the best thing you're asking for. And yeah. it is a very cosmetic business. So like, right. Like, like, but how did that scene strike you? It was, you know, sadly, it's not unfamiliar to me again with acting and performing. It's very, people can be very blunt um, but I did, it was super upsetting to me because every like VP of like marketing or merchandising, whoever they interviewed, it's all these like chubby white dudes <laughs> who are like have glasses and they're like, you need to lose like what at weight or something. And you're like, really dude? Like this is the guy de- delivering this? <laughs> um, yeah. Was, was Did um, Mick Foley talk to him at the end? Right there at that little right scene, walked by and thought of Very him. kind. And, yeah. and like, I, I, you know what, some of the type of person that Mick is, he would have done that whether the camera was on or off. But right. like the fact that like, hey, Mick, can you come in? Yeah, sure, I'll definitely do it. I was going to do it yeah. anyways. But it's like, hey, how do you want me to come in so you get the best shot? So right. not only is he doing it as a courtesy to the guys, but he's also the courtesy to the cameraman. What's the best for me to be in frame for you? <laughs> like, so it's it's almost like you think it's very set up and it is, but it's almost a double courtesy yeah. in a sense. Right. Yeah. And I that was that was before my crush had started, so it was a hilarious moment of like it was totally mundane moment of being. You like, weren't hey, even in love yet. You weren't even in love, love yet. But it's like this guy with this mask being like, "Good job, man!" Like they're having a totally pedestrian <laughs> conversation, but one of them's wearing like a wild wrestling mask. <laughs> like I gotta love that moment. Um, but moving right along. And we just talked about him getting out of bed, Terry Funk. Uh, Glennis, do you even did you even know who Terry Funk was before this no, at all? He's I didn't. been in a couple movies. You never been... saw that car commercial. It's it was directed to the ladies. <laughs> I, I saw that. That was so interesting. Um, no, I had never. I had never. Duh, heard that's of what him. interesting. Was <laughs> that a polite way of saying it? Is that what they say in the theater? Interesting yeah. when it's really no. dumb. <laughs> well, it was just so weird because it was juxtaposed with like all these shots, and they were talking yeah. about how he's he's more aggressive and like not afraid to like you know get down and dirty and then it's like him posing with this car being like the safest option for you is this and it was he can't get out of bed making sure hop out of the front seat of this car <laughs> they, they couldn't get a uh, like a few minute clip from the quantum leap episode he was yeah. in where he beat the crap out oh, of the trailer he was, he in, was in roadhouse yes oh well then see now and this is like the third or fourth time on this podcast that my husband will be agitated with me because he loves Roadhouse. And oh, he's I, screaming. And <laughs> he's got an earbud right out right now and screaming at him. An earbud that it. may or may not have a wire on it. Depends <laughs> on what phone he's got right just now. Just screaming his face off. Yeah. So I just like, you should have let me watch it with you. <laughs> We're watching Roadhouse right now. I know. I'm going to be doing that in the future. So I should have known who he was, but he was new to me. I really liked him a lot, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I mean, I, I liked almost everybody I saw. Movie, but he's he's got brown eyes, right? Like, we're seeing a trend here, or is it... forever. Yeah. Once again, your husband's screaming again. <laughs> he uh, loves this. Um, Glennis, and also with this Terry Funk thing, you get introduced with ECW. Yeah. What What were your initial thoughts and how ECW was portrayed in this short little segment? There, I I kind of I appreciated that they were you know not the big you know, established franchise that they were kind of scrappy and like kind of running it out of a house and doing their own thing. But the dude who was in charge, like Paul Heyman, I did not date. Like my like lady radar went up and was like, do not be alone in a room with that man. Your lady radar is dead on. (laughs) There's like one point where he was like petting a female wrestler and I, it just like totally grossed me out. Like he, (laughs) I was before a match or something and he was just like stroking the back of her body and I was like, (laughs) 
He paid yeah. for it. Well, <laughs> funny yeah. that we bring this up. I we were when we were backstage recently. Paul Heyman was there, and he was talking mm-hmm. to a, a female wrestler mm-hmm. that I knew quite well. And as I was just walking by, I heard the words "Don't you fucking ever!" And I go, "Oh no!" So I was like, "This person's gonna cry." So something must have happened, or Mister Sanchez so circled. You know, walked out, circled back around. I'm like, "Hey, are you okay?" He goes, "Oh no, it's nothing. It was good things. That was actually a, a very good talk, very complimentary." I'm like, yeah. "Didn't seem like it because <laughs> it seemed rather intense." Uh, and he had a, he also had a hold of her, so yeah. uh, he's like, "No, nothing but really positive and good things." I'm like, "Really?" Because there was a sense of a verber there, <laughs> like my, yeah. my my male social justice warrior. Like, yes, <laughs> I, had, I had to change into that outfit and run back out. So. Right, but you know. Yeah, very intense individual. Some people describe Paul Heyman as an individual that would have became a cult leader if pro wrestling did not exist. One of the best talkers of all time. Which that speech he gave before the pay-per-view. Yes, let's... What were your initial... Like, that speech... I've copied that speech before when I've worked for, like, for $5 Wrestling, which is a satire-based wrestling promotion. Like, that speech, like, that gave me goosebumps. Like, 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 what were your thoughts on that? I really, it was, it had, I had a, I appreciated it, I admired it, because you can tell that this, like, person has charisma just coming out of them, and I really like the speech, um, and you could tell, like, because that's not a, a common quality, being able to motivate a group of people, especially a group of athletes who are all, I, I'm assuming, like, strong and have their own personalities, um, but him standing up there and, like, the, the, like, little slime of, like, and they're all playing $20 for this, mm-hmm. like, was a little icky, but, I mean... You know, he. I don't think he's, um, you know, shies away from the fact that he's trying to make money off of this. Oh, but yeah. it was like, it was kind of like, a, you know, in Shakespeare, like Henry, um, once more into the breach, that like motivating yeah. speech where it's like, let's all go die. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty similar to what he used to say to, to Sabu, I'm sure, or Sandman. <laughs> that's another thing that, that, that's interesting about this part of this. I don't like... I remember ECW, just like the commercials for their pay-per-views, I, I remember being like, oh, WWF is kind of a cartoon and it's fun, but this ECW stuff, like, like this is like Marilyn Manson. If I fall asleep watching it or listening to it, I'll have nightmares and become a follower <laughs> of the devil. Like, like, that's what I felt like with ECW. It was that much danger to me. And then watching it now as an adult and hearing the stories and how all these guys were just cast-offs, guys that were rejects from WWE and just everything about it made it so wonderful and fantastic and it just it was perfect with Paul Heyman there but I don't think that this documentary captures one tenth of that or how important this show was which Terry Funk became the champion right girlfriend walked in again I go look babe it's me winning the PWX title which by the way as the story goes I guess minutes like five minutes because they were running out of time pay-per-view wise because they had a cap at at three hours and it ended like they went off air at just the right time and from what i heard it was like five minutes or ten minutes but very shortly after the pay-per-view happened the the, because it it was an old bingo hall in south philadelphia run down building shouldn't have been broadcasting a pay-per-view they blew out like a power transformer and they lost power like five, oh ten God. minutes after the pay-per-view happened. If that would have happened at the end of the pay-per-view, they wouldn't have never let it down. ECW wouldn't have lasted yeah, as long as it did. Them. But the fact that it hung on 
just long enough for it to happen. It just adds to the whole lore of what ECW was. So like, so it doesn't exist anymore. Not even it, it, it closed in two thousand one, which in the epilogue of the whole thing, like, oh, it's still going strong. And they got yeah. a TV deal, which basically the TV deal was to lure, the swan song was basically to lure in WWE to go to the Nashville Network. Oh. So it was unfortunately the, the sign of the end. But but anyways, we get to Mick Foley. Is, is this where you fall in love with Mick Foley now? Is this where the love attraction... Yeah. I, the, um, yeah, I loved when they had Mick Foley and Terry Funk together when they were talking about being friends and fighting. And I, I wrote down that I could totally see them like being old men on a porch together, like talking about when they used to beat the crap out of each other. Uh, and then the second thing I wrote was, get that ravioli money. Get that ravioli money. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that was it. Maybe it's really my love of carbs and pasta that like drew me to him. Um, <laughs> a man covered that much ravioli sauce. Yeah. <laughs> a man after my own heart. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just really liked the interview with him and his family. And I loved his friend Danny Zucker mm-hmm. that talked about him. It was like, I just wrote it down because I have that yeah. name, but he talked about uh, Rick Foley knowing since, uh, Mick Foley, excuse me. Um, your, your future husband's going to piss. I gotta, yeah. get the, I gotta get his name right. Now your real husband right uh, now is pretty happy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah for oh, yeah. There's a crack, there's a crack there's in There's a crack, mouth. I can win her back. Um, but he talked about him knowing since he was 14, uh, you know, that he wanted to be a wrestler and how most kids don't know that. And I wrote down, did I know that I wanted to be doing supplementary commentary for Mick Foley's documentary when I was 14? Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) And like, that's cool too, that he has, like everyone in his life seems to admire him as a person, which Mm -hmm. I know they didn't go as in depth with other wrestlers, but that was interesting to see like his family and he still has friends and. Mainly because most wrestlers are shitty people. Thank you for the agreement. I, 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 <laughs> I like, yeah, I met you. I've met the same guy for now forty minutes, and I'm already between <laughs> Jay the Snake and this fat fuck. <laughs> Somewhere they fall on the spectrum. Do you, do you think that's true though? I, I, because you know, I've been an actor. Yeah, people, yeah. Actors are kind of the same way. They're like, I'm selfish. Everything's about me. Is it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Kind yeah. of a similar. It just there's there's a more fake tanner. Yeah. Mm. That's usually where the line is gotcha. being made. More spandex on our end. Okay. Just a little bit. Discuss. But speaking of Jake the Snake Roberts, <laughs> it's that point of the of the show where Barry Blaustein finally finds Jake the Snake Roberts, Man. the guy he, who he was looking for. What are your initial thoughts of Jake the Snake Roberts, Glennis? He, like, they talked about, uh, what do they call it? Ring... Charisma or something? Psychology. Ring psychology. Like, when you said that thing about being a cult leader, like, he has that thing. Like, it was just because they were like, he doesn't have a good body. Like, he's not. (laughs) Like, they show him hopping over someone. They're like, he's not a great athlete. (laughs) That was Um, the most athletic thing he did, by the way. (laughs) Like, jump over someone. I felt like, I was like, oh, that was a bad clip for them to say that he's not athletic. That's the best thing he's ever done. (laughs) Athletically. Don't you shame him. Yeah, don't Um, you shame him. How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) Kindly leave. Right. Like, it's like him carrying the bag is the most work he seemed to be doing but like he I was like very intrigued and like immediately afraid of him (laughs) partially the snake you know like I also don't love snakes uh so that scared me but Uh um it's really interesting because I you know I haven't met many people but when you meet somebody who has that like crazy like charisma they're like I could get you to you know sell all your earthly possessions or you know I have this yeah exactly it's kind it's very captivating and they talk of like I loved how I loved hearing everyone say 
you know, like he could be the best. And then I was like, oh no, he's not the best. Because, you know, again, I know nothing. So they're like, he could be the best wrestler like in the world right now, but he's got his demons. And I was like, no. So it was, it was sad. But um, yeah, his fans too. The woman who's like, I just want to hold the snakes. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, he's a prime example of a wrestling fan. Which, <laughs> by the way, like a lot of towns when he gets booked, even now, like they're is he like, still wrestling? Yeah, he's still <gasps> wrestling. Well, he's like the the spokesperson esque of DDP Yoga these days. Oh. Like he's gotten his life together. Like oh, he, he has. Yes, complete one eighty. Absolute oh one hundred. Like he's sober. Just to give you a little solace. I know. I feel on, because like watching his stuff was hard, man. Mm-hmm. She's like, good. Now I can talk shit about him more. Because before I was like, I want to kick him while he's down. No, no, no. He's back up now. He's backing up. We can be doing real well. Yeah, doing very well. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I did. I like sat down with my notepad. And I was like, I'm gonna write so many funny things, and I ended up being like wrecked by this movie because <laughs> yeah. there's so many hard stories to watch. Um, yeah, he talked about being dictator mayor Jake the Snake. Yeah, he was like, that was real cool. And I was like, he totally could too. Like people are people are dumb like that. They're like, yeah, yeah. But, but then they're saying, but then they're like saying, you know, this is far down as you could go. But that show had a lot of people at it. Like yeah, it that's awesome. a good weekend yeah. for me and Zane. Yeah. I, I was like, that's good. And then they're like showing a, a shot of him napping in the back. Like he's so far down. This is the worst he's been. I take a nap at the show <laughs> that have that many people. Yeah. And then it's like makes me real that reevaluate my life as well like right. there was a many a time where like the music was playing and I was like it's not that fucking bad guys no, no this, is, this is a pretty good yeah. setup you got <laughs> pretty goddamn good I would love to stay at a Ramada Limited. Yeah. I know. I would love to be on a show with Chris Adams while yeah. he's still alive. Yeah, no shit. And, but funny story about sober Jake the Snake Roberts and drunk Jake Manning. Huh? Uh, <laughs> Trying to get him off that wagon. <laughs> well, that was the funny thing. Oh, God. He did... That's uh, not sound funny. <laughs> it is, though. Uh, as Zane will attest, there was a very dark time in my life. Uh, I, I, yeah, also I, smoking crack. <laughs> maybe a few steps away. Not all the way there yet. Maybe all the way there. It's definitely sleeping in locker rooms. Uh, but yeah, definitely falling asleep in <laughs> locker rooms uh, for different reasons. Uh, definitely had a very strong mustache. Mm-hmm. But Jake the Snake Roberts was in town in Charlotte at Mad Monster Party. Uh-huh. And he was sober at the time and actually knew the guy that he was hanging out with, Sin uh, Kazari. Oh, yeah. he, and, and of course, that's the guy he hung out with because he was also clean and sober and never drank before. I mean, he might have drank before, but he was pretty much always been clean and sober and stuff like that. So he was following Jake around in his first set of appearances, being clean and sober to kind of protect him and take care right, of him. Right, you need people, and, and, yeah. Yeah, people around him. And so Jake was doing this autograph appearance at Mad Monster Party and I was, of course, talking to Sin, like, hey, man, good to see you and talking. And then Jake was right there. And, like, we shook hands. But the thing is, I was completely bombed <gasps> out of my mind, like, drunk. And as soon as we touched hands, he goes, I need to leave right now. <gasps> oh, and I felt like he tested said, his sobriety. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like he smelt it on me, yeah. felt it on me, saw it, saw a guy with a mustache, <laughs> who's obviously a wrestler, saw a reflection of himself, <laughs> and said, I need to leave right now. This place where I'm taking where I'm taking money from fans who just want me to sign on a piece of paper, I need to run away because I touched your hand. That's I love, how I feel. I like, <laughs> to think, I like to think in his mind he saw you and was like, man, if I don't clean my shit up and get out of here, I'm going to look just like this little <laughs> See, I thought it was like he saw him and was like, thought he was being visited from like a past version of himself that was like here to take him down. <laughs> And, and we, <laughs> Ghost of alcoholism past. Yes. <laughs> I found you. <laughs> Here's your chain. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
these old Jack Daniels bottles are calling. Uh, and oh, it God. proceeds to get even sadder with Jake the Snake Roberts when we get into basically his life and his father and Man. his mother and that whole relationship. Uh, yeah, real fucked up family life. Yeah, it's um, incredible. He was able to get the um, Barry. Is that the, our, our narrator or Barry? Yes, and he was able to. You know, it was interesting. He was like. The more I drove with him, the more he just started opening mm-hmm. up. Because he probably doesn't didn't have anybody to yeah. talk to about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But he it was amazing that he shared so much and that they were able to get him and the dad to like angrily do yard work next to each other for, for B-roll? Yeah. Uh, for B-roll? <laughs> hey, can you guys just kind of like be in the close proximity of yeah. each other? It's like, well, I got some yard work to fucking do, so you want to be in here? Come on. And of course, Grizzly Smith's just like, sure, why not? And by the way, I'll let you know he was conceived out of love. No, no, he no, wasn't. He wasn't. No, no, he wasn't. No. That was crazy. We just heard a tale. Yeah. About you. Uh, I also like how he was like, recipe for dad's love. Get better than him at what he does and shove it up his ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then he was like, and I did it and it didn't work. And yeah. I was like, oh man. Like, most people don't even get to that step where they like do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they succeed. Yeah. And he, and an even darker twist. I don't know why, like, pro lifers don't hold up Jake the Snake Roberts. It's like, see, even products of rape can grow on to be amazing individuals. Right. If we had abortion, we wouldn't have Jake the Snake Roberts. <laughs> then the, the pro choice guy's like, Oh, yeah, no, that's a real good argument. <laughs> She's like, Kill I too. All. I too would like to point that out. <laughs> Just, I'm going to go over here. There's you can go either way. You can go either way. You can go either way. I got, oh I got nothing. Rest in case. Rest in case. And then, of course, the talking of Jake the Snake Roberts, like sex life. You know? Oh, his sex life got all messed up. <laughs> no. Oh, man, you need to hear Billy Jack Haynes' sex all, life. All of a sudden, your husband wants to get into Screaming, like, no! He's like, you're never allowed to do anything like this again. No, yeah, that was... <laughs> two at a time, three at a time, two at a time with toys. Sometimes I just watch. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> and then, and then us, the, those of us that aren't so, like, fucked up, we're just like, man, that sounds like a dream. That's what it is. Yeah. How do I mark that off? You're like, I wouldn't abuse it. I wouldn't abuse it. Yeah. <laughs> just, just let me see it one time. Oh, okay, I'm done. What, you can't think of anybody either? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do anymore. I kind of love that he, well, it shows you, like, he's an intelligent person because yeah. he had the ability to reflect on that and be like, yeah, I kind of fucked myself up that way. I feel like most people who get that down a road can't be like, I've really messed myself up. You know, like, he was really self-aware and, like, aware of his pain. Just, it's, like, he said this amazing thing where he was like, I love my children. I just don't know how to be close to them. Like, you know, he's, like, literally, like, I don't have that part of me, <laughs> like you know. So I really, it was really interesting to hear him because it wasn't just watching a yeah. guy who's gone off the rails and is like. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. I think so, you know, growing up a product of being molested, like getting close to his kids mm-hmm. in the back of his mind, like, is this gonna get weird? Like, am right. I gonna do to them when I like just even be hugging them? Yeah. How does this react? And, and that's the thing about him being a performer and, and being so good at ring psychology. You have to be so aware of what yourself is and what you're doing. Yeah. But it's almost wondering if the product of his abuse, he had to come to terms of that, or was wrestling right. the therapeutic thing that pulled that out of him? Like, did that create? Did the monster create <clears throat> itself, or did the, the the horror of it create him? You know, and that's yeah. the thing. So we we don't know, but that's that's the thing. 
But at this moment in time in the documentary, uh, there's a lot of rapid fire of some interesting characters, and we'll just kind of rattle them off. And, and Glenn is probably just your thoughts and reactions sure. to them. Uh, most notably, China. See, China was another person who I knew, and I just got really sad because she passed away this year. Yes? Yes. Is that this year? Uh, very recently. Yeah. No. Within, within about a year or two. It, it might have been last year. She was supposed to be at the Dallas... Uh, convention, wasn't she? Yes. So that would have been the beginning of this year after April. Yeah. Wow, it's only been a couple months. Mm-hmm. Dang. Never mind, it feels so much longer. Yeah, yeah. So it, yes, me within too. the last couple months, like it added, Yeah, it seems like it, it was at the beginning like of the two year. Or three weeks after. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the convention she didn't show up for. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, it, it bummed me out. Like, he talked about her being a UN, like a model UN. Mm-hmm. Like, a really clearly intelligent woman who. In the Peace oh, Corps. Peace Corps. Peace Corps, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah. Um, but she was clearly intelligent, and I loved how she, like, rejected this, like, standard of femininity, but then he, like, put that thing that was, like, then she got surgery. Um, just to shit on her. I know, just to, like, make her feel a little shitty. But, like, it, Well, the way you could shit on her more is, like, be like, oh, she said, you know, being a lesbian is not a bad thing, and then she did porn with females, you know? I know. Like, that would have been a better way to, that could have shit on yeah. her, too. Like... Yeah, it, it made me sad because I, I knew, I was aware of the fact that she kind of unraveled as a person. Yeah. Um, so, like, to see someone, like... Before they do that is like there's a weird like sadness and dread that I get where it's like, like that's her prime that yeah, right there is yeah. her and her prime before that, she started mess up her face and like because like the, the they were filming obviously the Royal Rumble '98 which is I believe the year she went in they were talking about her possibly winning that year mm-hmm. I think but I remember her being put over really strong I think she like faced off against Stone Cold Steve Austin mm-hmm. in the peak of Stone Cold Steve yeah. Austin like she was that over of a star. So, like, you're seeing her in her prime and in her peak and stuff like that. And, of course, where she ended up. Yeah, you know like, what's coming. So, it was like I saw her and I was like, oh. Yeah. Pretty pretty deep there. And then we get into Spike Dudley bleeding, quoting Shakespeare. Yes. <laughs> I, I liked it because, I, uh, you know, Shakespeare is, is my boy. So, um, I thought he was intriguing in a really weird way mm-hmm. um i wish he had like quoted more shakespeare though but i liked his false step quote. <laughs> well, he was bleeding from the head i'm sorry glennis he couldn't think of lines from henry the eighth yeah as he, as he told uh barry there like i can't think of anything right now i'm kind of bleeding i, I know if somebody's yelling at him they're like yeah. wipe your face <laughs> shut the fuck up I know, it's in my eye right now. All I see is red. Okay? Yeah. Like, I'm trying to call McBeth, you motherfucker. <laughs> uh, then we have Coco Beware. Oh. What? Like, <laughs> what? Leave it there. It's still there. Just shut They don't even need more explanations. <laughs> what? what? And then, and podcaster. <laughs> no, I literally was like, I can't process what's happening right now on the screen. I couldn't process they called him a headliner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to rewind it I there barely want to call him a Hall of Famer. Yeah, like. uh, I had to rewind it right there because, again, working on this really good puzzle. And, like, <laughs> I was listening to it, and then he talked about taking Frankie's feathers out. And I was like, wait a minute. Whoa, wait, what? And then I had to rewind it, and he's like, he was talking about how he thought about it, like, in the future one day, he would have to, like, he was putting, like, like, you're going to put a weave in your parrot? Like yeah. Your parrot weave? Who gets I know. those? Like, the, the parrot is part of the retirement yeah. plan. I was like, oh, no. Like, is that bird still... Like, I... No, Frankie's dead. Like, something... Yeah. His God, parrot, I hope like, so. I think lives forever. They do live a long time, but I was like, something bad's going to happen when that bird goes. Like, well, he is attached to this thing. Last time I saw Coco be where he had a stuffed parrot, so... Like a stuffed animal parrot, not like... No, a stuffed animal. I thought you meant like a taxidermy. 
I don't know which Freddy is better. Stuber. I don't know which is better. Uh, I'm, I'm in my, in my mind, it's a uh, stuffed Frankie, still with a full out span, <laughs> and then Coco's just kind of dancing with it. Like, <laughs> was he at every all the fights? The bird? Did he stay? Oh, yeah, he always brought the bird down. And was he on like? Did he hang on the ropes or like? What did he do? And they took him to the back after. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think okay. somebody would come. He was like the intro. intro. There was a time where WWE, which they don't talk about, also had an animal handler. Real see for a whole well, line for, in the budget that's for like, Jake the snakes uh, snakes and then the bird and then there was a bulldog at some point and, and the dragon for Ricky Steamboat yeah. not a real dragon he's not <laughs> he's not a, he's not a Khaleesi sweetheart <laughs> a kimono dragon a kimono dragon then we uh, but next character we get introduced to obviously Jesse Ventura <laughs> hopefully running for president in twenty twenty anything's possible y'all keep our fingers crossed oh, for my. Jesse. And then, of course, we get introduced to New Jack. Glennis, <laughs> what is your reaction to New Jack? Well, when New Jack showed up, I'd kind of, like, been aware of this, the whole documentary. I was like, there are not very many brown people, like, black people, Hispanic people in this, um, or women. You know, I was like, there are a lot of, this are a lot of white dudes doing white all this dudes, fighting. Yeah. So it was refreshing to meet New Jack, but... If we, first if, person. if we ever do a montage of clips taken for an intro song, that's Is boring. he like the most hated wrestler oh, of all time? Uh, I wouldn't say he's hated. I like him because him. this might get back to him. But yeah, uh, come for you. There's a little bit of hate, uh, not hate, but a little bit of fear and respect for uh, for that man. No, it's just fear. I, I was also it's fear. I was confused. There was like a toaster, and he had like crime. Like, mm-hmm. what is his? Can you? Because all of them have like a gimmick and a story or like a backstory. What's his? Backstory, like uh, well, basically, I mean, as a character, like his, yeah. his gimmick, like basically, you know, the movie New Jack City. Um, he's basically a gangster, and of course, like he was coming out around the time of the LA riots. So basically, he just comes uh, out and just a trash can full of other weapons, other weapons, and like I uh, a toaster. Uh, natural born killers would, but you know, but Ice Cube's playing in the background while he's beating people uh, up. But super babyface. Like usually, the way you would go in ECW is. You know, you'd have like, you know, like Tommy Dreamer, you know, fight somebody and like Raven or whoever. And then all of a sudden, like Stevie Richards would come in and hit Tommy and then it'd be a DQ. And then there'd be two heels beating on one baby face. Oh. Then another, then another good guy would come in and then they'd kind of rally back up. And then another heel would come in and then it was three to two. Oh, and then okay. another baby, then it'd, then it'd be three and three. And then another bad guy would come in. And be like four on three, beating everybody up, standing in the middle of the ring. All of a sudden, New Jack song would hit. Yeah. And then just, place would go Chaos. nuts. Oh. Absolutely crazy. But the song would never stop playing. Yeah. Like throughout the, whole, the rest of the... The whole the whole time he was out, the song would play. And it would just repeat. Was that part of his he, contract where he was like... God, I hope so. If that, not, was, that was something that Paul Heyman did to enhance him as a star. Uh, okay. Is the idea of like, you know, this is just going to play in the background the whole time and you're just going to beat people up. And maximizing the fact that technically as a wrestler, he was no Luthes. Right. I don't think he'll he'll stab me for me making that statement. Uh, <laughs> he knows he's not a dead old white guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he knows, knows that. that. But like him as a character and coming in and doing that and making the baby face save with that song, nobody better. Nothing better yeah. for sure. Like, Absolutely fantastic. That's what he his strengths were. Yeah. I also sure. like that he was just like, I like pain. Like <laughs> very, a great talker, as, as we candid. find out. Yeah, and his audition. I also would totally watch the like buddy cop of Barry and New Jack. He was like, he was like, New Jack 
that's my friend. And like they're driving to his audition together. Could like, you imagine if the film world actually got New Jack instead of Ice Cube for all those Disney movies? Oh. Like, are we there starring <sighs> New Jack? Oh, it's only hope. <laughs> or, or let's take even a little twist. Instead of Ice T on Special Victims, oh Jack, god, damn. we have New Jack. Oh my gosh! Hold on, you mean to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> And someone got hit with a stapler. Yes. Yes. I I would totally watch that. But more uh, so than I already binge watch. <laughs> <laughs> but any thoughts about New Jack before we move on? Other than he's fantastic, because he might be listening. He might stab me. Yeah. So he followed me on Twitter for a day, then they kicked him off Twitter. <laughs> he kicked <laughs> Twitter. Oh yeah, immediately. Yeah. How old is he now? Because the movie is just old enough 50s, that I'm right? like... Yeah, he is. And he tried to do stand-up comedy for a little bit, too. He still does it. Does still he? does? Yeah. I, I hope so. Yeah. I'd love to see him. I'd love to see him. He's a bunch of N-words. Yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it. And podcast. Podcast. A bunch of N-words. Podcast. <laughs> Finally, we get to Terry Funk's retirement show. And this is, of course, where we get introduced... To Dennis Stamp and the famous I'm Not Booked. Glennis, you have a very pouty face, a very upset face on your I was profoundly sad at the image of him like jumping on the trampoline and being like, I gotta stay in shape in case I book something. I don't know what my last one was, but I don't know what my next one is. No, his last one was 1991. This is filmed in 97. Six years. No, you never retire. Okay. Oh, and him saying that, you know, whoever Dory Funk's opponent is, nobody can have, Dory Funk can't have a better opponent th- than me, and the guy he's wrestling isn't that good. You know who the guy who wrestled on that show? Rob Van Dam. <laughs> oh, no. A guy who ended up being a WWE Hall of Famer, yeah. the, one of the only guys ever to hold the ECW title and WWE title at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That was a weird little temper tantrum. Yes, it was. But I, I, I appreciate it. Maybe like Funk even more that he was just like, I'm asking you, please come. Just be please there. come be there. Be there. Like, whatever. I'll give you what you want. Like, and he's just, no, I'm not coming. No, and, and just that odd scene, like, why would you, and also as a production person, why would you record Terry walking away and stumbling? Like, I don't know why you put that <laughs> in there. Like, catch up You've already him. heard that, like, his knee, one of his knees just, like, doesn't exist anymore. Like, um, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Why do you put that in there? But anyway. I also, I also love that they, they, they brought him to, like, where they're putting up the sign. Mm-hmm. And they're like, are you in this show? And he's like. Standing in front of it, like, no, I won't be there. Like, no, I won't. No, be I'm there. here right now. <laughs> yeah, this is. Well, like... actually, I sweep up this parking lot on Thursdays. Yeah. It just happened that it's here this weekend. Right. Mm-hmm. For a little bit of side cash. Oh, but they, they hammer it all out. He kept saying, "I'm not booked. I'm not booked. I'm not booked." You're never in. Finally, books him. Lands. Like, like I'm gonna miss the main event. Like, yeah. I'm in the main event. You, you know, and yeah, and then tries to shake him down for money too. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, did you just not uh, remember that when I talked to you before? <laughs> we filmed it. At, 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 shut up. <laughs> Terry Funk has his retirement match. You know, which, which the other time, girlfriend walked in and go, "Look, babe, I'm retiring right now." What <laughs> <laughs> <One> of me? <laughs> right, right here. It's me retiring right now. But um, also, too, should note. The, his retirement show was set for in the year of 1997, September 11th. I saw that. Uh, like, I noticed that. I was like, oh, that day doesn't mean anything yet. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, and you know what? I'll never forget. <laughs> You'll never forget the phone. Forever. Yeah. Forever. Forever. Uh, then moving right along to Jake the Snake Roberts' daughter. Um, oof. Oof. Is there only one? 
This well, no, there's multiple. I think Jake okay. has several kids, but they they decided to interview this one. She was willing to be interviewed. I I can't imagine the amount of daddy issues that she has. I I don't want to know what she needs sexually. She has her tongue. like it's got to be bizarre. That, she has her tongue pierced. She has daddy issues. <laughs> yeah, and she had that burn book she made of him that she's yeah. like showing the camera. It's like anger, 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 like written all over it. I was like, oh, there's almost, there's almost part of me like, well, maybe you're the fucked up yeah. one. Like I was like, maybe maybe Jake was a good dad and you're the messed up one. Yeah, I'm just know. scared of you. Yeah. Well, and then she looked, I also thought it was really ironic that she was like, he just needs to get out from in front of the cameras. I'm like. You're literally being interviewed by a camera yeah. right now. <laughs> You're like, here's my book about my father. Yeah. Like, Come on. I make lotions and candles. Here's yeah. also my business card. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. yeah uh, very uh, colliding there. And of course, you know, Jake's on the phone. And also, too, odd choice by the director to leave out him picking at something on his jacket. The chocolate. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> is that, that chocolate? Is that semen? What is that? Is that crack? I know. He's so clearly trying to be like, I don't want to be talking about what we're talking about right but, now. But that's, that's like this weird choices by the, the editor. I'm like, yeah, let's leave this part where Terry Funk trips on himself and where Jake can't figure out if he's got chocolate on his, yeah. on his jacket. <laughs> I just think that guy was like, Man, fuck all these wrestlers. I'm going to make them all look like assholes. <laughs> Complete moron. Like, I can't wrestle. No one can. That's right. Um, <laughs> I did notice that it was the only thing that, like, because that was a heavy, I mean, it's a heavy moment where he, like, confronts his feelings and then is immediately like, I have to go do drugs now. Yeah. But there is a, like, he's just wearing a pinch, a pink scrunchie. Yeah. Which I was like, again, it's like, be a buddy and be like, maybe switch to, like, you know, a rubber band. Pick up or, that scrunchie. Yeah, pull out the scrunchie. He did not have Jake the Snake's back. In that no, moment, absolutely not. Like he it was wanted a him, exploitative. wanted him to look as, as goofy as possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, he just bought him crack. He should do whatever he asked for. <laughs> yep. Uh, smoke crack. Uh, and then, like, also, is it? I don't know. I mean, I guess as a documentary filmmaker, there are, you know are lines to cross. But I'm like, this guy is like high as hell, and like. Spilling his guts. At what point are you like, I'm gonna turn off my kid? You know what I'm saying. I know that he was making the documentary, but that felt like if somebody like like a verbal snuff film. Yeah, like it's like, why are you even recording? Like, mm-hmm. just be there with that human being who's having this. But you know, I don't know. Like, that's it's from dec- Hollywood. That's what a decent person does. But we don't. We, we don't all work for decent people, as, as I can attest to. As we have spoken. <laughs> We're shitty people. Yes. Uh, yeah, we got to sell those shoot tapes. Right. So we got to get these guys all liquored up. Right. Uh, but yeah. So we'll get this man more crack. Yes. And, and the, uh, I feel like I can, I can say this story about him now because he's better. But every time I think about Jake the Snake and him smoking crack, I remember being on a show with him in North Carolina and him being picked up for the show and immediately looking for crack and then him smoking crack in somebody's car. And somebody being very upset about it. And this right. was in 2007, 2008. Now, that's 10 years after Beyond the Mat. And he's obviously smoking crack then. He was smoking crack then. He did not get sober until 2012. This man survived 15 years of smoking crack. I feel like whoever's telling us that crack is bad for us, 
Also, <laughs> you can go 15 years on it. I don't know. Also, I think that means Jake the Snake is like a mountain of a yeah, man. That, that, that's the other side of it. Does it just mean that he's a mountain of a man? Yeah. Does he have something that the rest of us don't have? <laughs> like, I don't Liver. know. But he's 15 years. On the evolution chart. We just don't know it. 15 years of smoking crack, he survived. And that's just from this documentary. He might have been smoking crack two, three years before. He may have 20 years of smoking crack under his belt, and he has survived. And doing better than ever. <laughs> he's doing great. He's, he's, he's dying the mustache. He's, he's, he's got more color in his skin than I do. Like, yeah. he's doing every, far better. Every once in a while, you know, he, he gets in the ring, he wrestles a, wrestles a bit. Yeah. That makes this I'm so glad I because I didn't know that this. I'm so glad to know that that is the other side of this story. So Jake, are you snake. saying that possibly we should get together as a trifecta and make a modern day where are they now beyond the map? Yeah. Oh, let's do it. Beyond the map too. Oh man. Get together. Beyonder. Beyonder. Beyonder the map. Beyonder the map. Figure you can meet your husband. Today. I can finally meet my husband. Nick mm-hmm. Foley. Nick Foley. We know where Jake the Snake is. We know where New Jack is. Some of these people probably did. Yeah. Uh, but, China. you know. Draws. No, he's still alive. He's still alive. Yeah, he's still alive. He's no. Still alive. He's paralyzed though, right? Yes, he, is. he owns a lawn company. Yes. Yes. Okay. He's, Small he's, business owner. Yeah, you know. he's, doing, he's doing okay. He's yeah. doing, he's doing he's okay. Right. You know, I, I think he's made the most of it. Made the I most mean, of the situation. <laughs> Can't make much of it. Yeah, you said that I didn't. Um, <laughs> that, that was Zane. He's not listening. That was, that was Zane. Um, <laughs> My name is Mason Burnett. Fuck <laughs> New Jack Wild. <laughs> or the girl he used to date. Yeah. Uh, anyways, <laughs> moving right along. Mick Foley at the Royal Rumble 98. Uh, and we also get to see a very young rock. At this time, he's going to be facing The Rock in the title match. So this is the moment where you fell in love with him. Am, am I correct? Or were you all No, this was where I had like a little dip in my love. Just oh. because, well, I saw The Rock and I wrote, The Rock! Exclamation point. Because I know him. Because that's what everybody does. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's The Rock. He, I, Everybody's a great man to The d- Rock. Double tap that Instagram. <laughs> double tap that Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> the sexiest man. Um, but this is where I was like, it became really problematic for me with the kids watching. Um... Because, like, they were doing this weird thing with kids who I think are too little. They were like, you understand this is fake, right? And the kids are like, yeah. And it's like, they don't understand. And then, like, the mom is freaking out when they're watching it. So they're looking at their mom and they're like, oh, shit, she's afraid. Like, Mm. this is real. Like, I was like, you, you know, I think you should, you know, you should do whatever you want with your career. But I was like, maybe don't let them watch until they're old enough Mm. to, like, really understand. Because I, like, when they were crying and watching that match, like, I was crying, like, I was emotionally invested. I was just like, I was like, I hate the rock. Like <laughs> it made me, it made me turn on the rock. But yeah, that was a really intense uh, showdown between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also like, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember like this part of the documentary and being affected by it yeah. like, as, as well. Like it, it like really like, wow, like this is, I feel like that gave some, the true consequences of what we do because like, and that's the thing too. Like I think maybe because like I don't know if it's my generation of people like we saw this documentary and we understand it and we could you know like we could process it that way. And I don't know if a lot of kids have seen Beyond the Mat or they or when they see it, it's like oh it's something that's got a bunch of funny lines in it that everybody quotes. I'll just watch it for that as opposed to the the 
the explanation or the expose of the sense of like what it does to your family members and how normal people kind of see and interact with what we do in the ring and and do that where like I feel like people are like oh I'm just gonna do a million flips or I'll take a bunch of chair shots or I'll do this and bump around I won't even think about the consequences where when you see something like this you kind of get some levity to it which I you know when they showed Mick back the footage and yeah you know, and and really like actually from that moment of him you know this documentary being released like Mick's <clears throat> he did become the guy that pulled the sock out of his tights yeah. he wasn't like this was kind of like the grit the last hurrah of him being this hardcore beast that was, you know, taking chair shots of the head unprotected, jumping off the apron to the Falling ground. through that. Yeah, like all, all of those things. Oh yeah, God. like he, like this is kind of like him kind of realized like, hey, um, this is all going to catch up to me physically. But, um, and he knew mm-hmm. that. He's always known that. Like this is going to catch up with me physically. This is going to catch up with me. Oh, well, I'll push away. I'll push away. I need to keep making money for my family, for my family, for my family. But then he's really like, ooh. Me doing this and my kids saying this, this is really affecting them. It's affecting my kids and I need to curtail this. So yeah. I feel like, I feel like this was like, we get to see a very pivotal point in somebody's career and a, and a change. And, you know, now he's become, you know, like this guy who's like a host extraordinaire on Raw and cuts these promos and like, you know, I think a, a second part of his career, you know, and showing how talented he really is. He didn't have to kill himself, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what people have been saying for years, but you don't have to kill yourself. You're very talented. You don't have to kill yourself. And finally, he's proven that in spades. He's on WWE right now as, as a commissioner and proving that he can be entertaining. And also, he's lost a ton of weight. Like, at this moment in time, he's roughly probably around 300 pounds, which is, I remember talking to him not so long ago, he said his best, when he was at his best, he felt like he was about 300 pounds, was, you know, in his prime. Now he's down to like 220, 205 right wow. now. Like he's lost a bunch of weight and he feels real good about it. So, yeah. like, and he's really turned his life around. He's moving around a lot better. So, yeah, I think this part is very interesting and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, I don't know, what do you guys think, like, because talking to my husband, like, you know, young, I think mostly boys, like, it was very interesting to me. Anytime you saw women in the documentary, it was often, like, the wrestlers' wives and daughters being, like, like watching and just wanting to die. But it's, like, mostly, like, men mm-hmm. are in the audience. And, like, what age... Because I think it's different watching wrestling when you're a little kid. If it's not your dad, like, I feel like that's where part of the, like, what they got so upset was about. But, like, what, like, I don't know. Was it a, is it a, pro, do you think you guys think it's appropriate to, like, bring, I don't know if either of you have children or want children, but, like, at what point would you let them come watch you get, like, wailed on? <laughs> or would you not? Since we don't kids, this is like yeah, super hypothetical, fine. but I just mean, I mean, also generally, I'm afraid, I'm afraid of breaking kids. That's yeah. why I don't have kids, so like that. I, mean, I might have kids, I just don't fucking know. I, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, but, I've never uh, met them, <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. I've never put thought to it because I've never put the thought to having kids, what? so right. but at the same time, too, like, I yeah, I, I w- really wouldn't want to have them around, also, kind of in the, in the same way that my father didn't have me around farming. Because he didn't want me to become a farmer because, like, don't have this life because this is a shitty life. It's hard, right? And I don't want them to be around pro wrestling because I don't want them to do that. And if anything, if I want them around it, I'll probably get them in a ring and beat them up real bad so they don't ever do it. Much like my father <laughs> on the farm put me in a manure pit and told me to shovel your way out. Right. And cured you of ever wanting to. Yeah, it's like, this is what farming is. And, like, would wake me up. And then, like, made it real rough on me. It's like, this is, you don't want yeah. this life. You need to learn how to do something else and be smarter and get an education and not do this. So, right. Like, I feel like that's, you know, what I would probably do if I had kids is run them away from as much as possible, which 
is funny is actually the storyline for Mick Foley's mm-hmm. reality show on WWE yeah. Network. Yeah, his daughter's training to be a wrestler, right? Yeah. I, maybe yes. I Wikipedia. Uh, personality, I would say, maybe okay. would be a, a little better. It probably would suit her better. Mm-hmm. She's, she's not d- built like a wrestler. No. <laughs> uh, she she could definitely be a personality for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like I feel like she could be involved in professional wrestling. But yeah, if you want to feel really old, uh, just look at pictures of her now. Yeah, yeah. I googled her. <laughs> my, my future daughter, you know. I'm sure not. Might as well check her. Yeah, but I hate this bitch. I'm <laughs> sure. I'm sure you're not the only one that has this listen to this podcast. I mean, she's beautiful. She's like a Barbie doll. I'm like, mm. oh dang. It's and that's, that's that weird thing where I'm like, 90s. I was a kid, and I'm like, that's like 20 years ago now, mm-hmm. which yeah. is wild. Yeah, it's very. Wild. How did her genetics come from McFoley? But see, that's the thing. The mom was a model. Well, very, you have that. You have that sensitive. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Her, the, his wife is gorgeous, and she. It's one of those things where it's like I feel like it's a look of the mm-hmm. DNA draw because it's like um, Billy Joel and uh, Christy Brinkley had a daughter, mm-hmm. and that woman looked like just like Billy Joel. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's the sort of thing where like it just kind of whatever gets shaken up in the like mm-hmm. chromosomes because she looks nothing like him at all. And yeah, I mean, so she's more of a side town girl instead of an uptown <laughs> girl. Not an uptown girl. She's hanging out by the tracks. <laughs> Wrong side of the tracks, girl. But uh, another thing I, I feel like I should just kind of throw in here at this one segment of time of the 98 Rumble, I find it hilarious that Gorilla Position for this pay-per-view is just basically just a table and a monitor. Mm-hmm. What's Gorilla Position? Basically where they're all sitting at the table with the headsets and telling each other like they, where the talent walks through the curtain. Like it's just a curtain hung up and they got a little bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I keep hate going back to it. Like this past, like two weeks ago on Monday, they built an entire stage. They had 50 stage hands, like building the stage, and they built a little room. About the size of this living room. About about the size of this living room. To be your set? No, to be be their control room. The control room? Just their control room with like pictures on the wall, and they (laughs) they put in a big desk with monitors and stuff. It's like a dream catcher. (laughs) Yeah, like all kinds. Like they built their own control room for that. An insane poster on the wall. (laughs) He was, yeah. I want to feel at home. It was real good like that because they had like also like it looked like a mirror on the wall, but Mm -hmm. it it was like it was see through, so they could actually look at the crowd directly. And see how they're reacting to stuff, oh, but you wow. couldn't look into it and see. And they build it up piece by piece, mm-hmm. the individual wall, Flat and sitting wall, on the stage. Though. And talent would walk up there, and then they walk out the curtain there. Where this was just like put a table, hook yeah. up a few monitors. There we go. We're good yeah. to go. Like <laughs> one guy set that up in fifteen minutks. Yeah. Where it took 50, 60 people every Monday night. Every bit, to sit, you know, a couple and, hours. Yeah, that's, and union workers and everybody else. That's wild. Like. Yeah, crazy. the way it's grown is ridiculous. Also, I, I wrote, again, because I am come from performance world, I said, Dwayne's acting has come a long way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was selling it real hard. <laughs> think so? You think so. Uh, now we're going to get to you know the epilogue of the movie and stuff like that just real quick. They start talking about Tony Jones and you know, Mike Modest. Um, Tony, uh, but, but this would be a good time to maybe update people on what we know about these people yeah. before we get them on the horn and we do Beyonder the Mat. Beyonder yeah. the Mat. Um, you know, Tony Jones uh, still worked at Visa. Mike Modest said he lost his job and moved to another job. But uh, good news about Mike Modest, to, to inform you, he went on to wrestle for Noah in Japan. I remember he was talking about yeah, Japan. Go he, got, he got to have a good run in Japan and Noah and, and it's prime. Like That's he was awesome. over there very early and stuff like that. So he actually had a pretty decent career in Japan. Oh, so yeah. I'm not sure about that. 
Uh, Roland's gym shows did get closed down and they got reopened. APW is still a thing. Roland Alexander, I believe, is still running APW, if I'm not mistaken. And actually, yeah. they wouldn't use this podcast to get booked by him? Uh, maybe so. Uh, have we said enough good things about him? I mean, we should go back. We'll re edit this out. Yeah, we'll, we, we love <laughs> we'll him. ADR some positive yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's obviously doing it. I remember he, Drake Younger praises him for giving him an opportunity when he was around. Drake Younger, who's now a referee for WWE and former wrestler. So, Dang. Yeah. Uh, Terry Funk, of course, retired multiple times. Yeah. You got this look on his face like it doesn't turn out so well. Well, no, I just, I was sad when it was like he didn't stay out just because when you see the physical, mm-hmm. like his story was the one where like, I liked how he kind of cut the shots of like him wrestling and then like him being in his life and like getting out of bed where it's like you see the cost of that career. And so I thought it was getting to a, like when he was like, I'm out and like his wife and his daughters were all like good like you're finally taking care of yourself and then it was like and he's back in the game like you're, you're just worry right for his does he have new knees like bionic knees now i don't know what he has he i don't know what he's walking on but uh his last match was I believe it was in the fall of last year i believe that was for house of hardcore what time how old Dreamer? is he now he's probably 50 then so yeah, it's like, probably in seventies, sixties. Yeah. Once you look that I'm gonna, up, I'm gonna, gonna get that on the Google later. Yeah, he's a lifer, man. At this point, it's like just keep going. Oh yeah, he'll, he'll die. <laughs> now, actually, he, uh, I actually he introduced me to the ring and was in my corner for a match that I had against Jerry the King no Waller, way! who had Mick Foley in his corner, and Terry was a fucking madman. Really, like, when he gets in front of that crowd, like I see why he doesn't want to quit. He just Went insane. It's like a drug. Yeah, and they, they kept telling him, like, because he's kind of unpredictable. Terry, whatever you do, don't swear in a live microphone. Don't swear in a live microphone. <laughs> They're like, first, one oh, God damn it. No, first thing, he, he grabbed the microphone, he goes, bullshit, bullshit. And we're in a high school gym. Like, and we have oh. high school kids there, and he's just screaming bullshit at the top of his They probably lungs. thought it was the best. Oh, yeah, they were super. I thought it was the best. I wasn't even in school. And then he introduced me and come out to wrestle Jerry the King Lawler. Which, you know, Fuck all wow. highlight of my career, by the way. Yeah. But I, I had to slip that in that, yes, he's still doing it. And the Dang. fact, and when he gets in front of the crowd, like, not only they tell him not to curse in front of the microphone, but like, be careful. So before I, before the match, the bell ever rang, he cursed in the microphone several times. He, I believe, swung at a fan, broke the ring steps and uh, slapped me as hard as he possibly could across the face. Luckily <laughs> <laughs> for you at his old age. What is his age? 72. At 72 years old. Dang. Still, still scared of this man. Still scared of Did this man. Did it hurt or were you just like too cranked up? It was an open feeling? hand at least. Oh, okay. It was an open hand, but it, he, he brought it. You should have slapped him back. Like, he would have like, loved it. I like guess. that was your guys' like, thing. We just slapped <laughs> each other. It's what we do. In the mm-hmm. face. That's how we say hi. God damn it, Jack. <laughs> but he, but we, we tried to do the instead. You know where he goes forever, forever. We did the man scout with the fists or whatever. That was critical. Yes. Cool. So I like that. That was our one team thing we did. Good. That was before he punched me in the face. Uh, <laughs> hey. uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, as we said before, sober doing DDP yoga, and actually him and the DDP scooped up Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, and helped get him sober as well. Right. So, not such a, not as equally as good of a story. But yeah, but you know, still, They're trying. They're, they're still trying. working. They're yeah. still, still scooping up people and, and helping them out. Jake the Snake now also doing stand-up. Yeah. yeah. That'd, be, that'd be interesting as well to see. 
or at least storytellings and stuff yeah, like yeah. that at comedy clubs. Draws, of course, was uh, paralyzed, as we mentioned, and as you said, a long and alive. <laughs> and alive. Is he like fully paralyzed, or like from? Yeah, from like neck Dang. down. Does like, that? I was because I don't know anything about the industry, but I imagine that happens when you're doing something in an unsafe way, like that kind of injury. Because well, I know you guys get injured. Sometimes that shit's fluke. Because right. yeah, he it happened with with D'Lo Brown, a running power bomb, which it is was just up, literally the look and of they the just draw. tripped. And D'Lo is is a very good ring yeah. technician. Like of all the people that you would get hurt with, D'Lo Brown would probably be the last guy you'd pick on the right. list. And that just happened. It just happened. Oh, and then he has to live with that the rest of his life. Yeah, life is cruel, y'all. Mm-hmm. She's a cruel mistress. Was there? I don't. I believe it happened. Did Draws do something with the Legion of Doom yes, at did. some point? He was he was going to take Hawk's place because okay. Hawk was an alcoholic, and they brought that story. That's what I thought. Because at the beginning, when they're like, they have Hawk, and they have Animal, and they have Puke. Yeah. Well, he eventually becomes tag team partners with Hawk and Animal. Oh, okay. Which is which yeah. I very ironic. Which was going to work out well. And then ECW, as I said, went to TNN, but then TNN just had ECW on there to generate enough revenue to get WWE to lure over from the USA Network. Right. And then WWE talk about it as a publicly traded company, and now they make millions of dollars and enough money to make their own gorilla position. Mm-hmm. And Dennis Stamp is still not booked. <laughs> um, Glennis, any what, what are some other reactions and thoughts to this documentary that we've glazed over? You want to get out? Um, we covered a lot of it. It was really, you know, I actually really liked. I like. I thought I was like, oh, this will be. Kind of silly and you know and dumb, but I was it was very human, you know, like seeing these people and like understanding that it's more than, you know, the performance was really cool for me. It it it, it wrecked me for sure. I was like on this emotional roller coaster <laughs> uh, when I was watching it. I'm glad to hear that a lot of them have you know happier endings, unless you're making that up just because. Yes, I'm glad you're. <laughs> you seem like a very liberal <laughs> snowflake. I just want you to live in a nice. <laughs> Life, a, a life in this new America that we have. So I, I want you just not to leave we, here. We wanted you to have a safe place when it came to wrestling. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when it came to wrestling. Well, I appreciate place. it. But yeah, I, I, one of the biggest things too that I got from watching it was the injury and like the actual like physical cost of the career. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know because you guys both have been doing this a while now. Is that something that like you just have a high? Because he, he has that kind of cheesy quote at the end. He was like, they're just like us. But not, yeah. um, you know, and it's like, I think it does take a special personality or a different personality to endure. Most humans like avoid physical pain at all costs. Mm-hmm. And I feel like wrestlers kind of seek it out. Do well, you guys feel like, like you have to like uh, uh, a trainer, George Southwood, who I mentioned earlier, has a very good quote. And it, it hits me, especially now, is that the second you think about it uh-huh. is the second you need to get out. Because if you think about it. You realize how dumb mm-hmm. and how bad and how awful it could turn <laughs> right. in a second. This doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't be doing this. Your body should not, you should not be doing this to your body. The right. second you start thinking about it in that way, and as you get older and you try to protect yourself a little bit, you start thinking about that. And if you if you're not going out there and attacking, you know, like the mats when you land. That's when it could, it hurts more. That's you have a higher de- uh, propensity to hurt yourself and do damage to yourself, and that's yeah. where the injuries happen. And but do you guys like so like do you, did you Zane like are you just not afraid of pain? Do you? Oh uh, no, I actually fucking hate it. Like I yeah. hate pain. Uh, I don't know though. It's really weird. Like I, I we 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 jokingly discussed about doing one of these episodes with like 
psychologist or something that would be like, this is what's wrong with this person. But I believe there's some sort of, I personally believe, and this is not everyone's cup of tea to think, uh, there's somewhere in all of us, there's some type of baseline, like mental disturbance Mm -hmm. in which that we would continuously do this to ourselves. I mean, we openly and knowingly think this is, our body shouldn't do this. This is silly, but we keep doing it. We don't stop. I believe there's some sort of uh, emotional and mental disturbance that we have that keeps us doing this. Yeah, and and I feel like too, like for a long time, I had a, a strange suspicion why I couldn't leave wrestling is because mm-hmm. I have like a baseline feel feeling of hating myself, and I feel like the more I beat myself mm-hmm. up, the better you know, the better I feel like oh, I'm in pain because I deserve to be in pain. Right. This is the way I'm supposed to feel, and that's how it resonates himself. Where a normal person, it's they get in a bad relationship, mm-hmm. they do destructive things, they get drunk every Friday night, right? And I think that's where we see even just like you know. I listen to a lot of podcasts with MMA fighters and UFC fighters, and they seem like very secure individuals because they embrace that idea of getting beat up and pain, and they've they, they've occupied that space of that self destructiveness in what they do, and they use it as a positive thing. And I think that's kind of what a lot of wrestlers do subconsciously, and a lot of them don't think of it that way. Yeah. But like I've had to dissect it in my own self. Like, why do I still want to do this? Because right. like, ah, because after I've wrestled, like two or three shows in a weekend and I'm beat up on Monday and I have a whole bunch of money in my pocket, it feels good because not only the money, but the fact that like, I deserve to feel this bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, and then you have to psychoanalyze yourself. Uh, mine, like uh, personally, I think is more such of a, it's, it's more so a dependency. Like I'm not a mm-hmm. very, I like to drink a whole bunch, but like I don't, I'm not like an addictive personality person. Like, but, um, like, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 say, old Jake the Snake. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, like, me personally, it's like a dependency because, like, I've been doing this for uh, going on 10 years now, and I've put so much work and so much and sacrificed so much for wrestling. It's gotten to the point now where I think, like, my body can't do this much longer. It's very phys- it's physically sad because, like, I've sacrificed so much. If I don't do it, then what I've done for the last 10 years is now pointless and bullshit. And it's right. affected many, many relationships, both uh, friendships or, or like uh, loving relationships or whatever. So where he thinks he deserves to be hurt, I am too dependent on it to stop because I'm, I'm scared of what the alone of wrestling is. Like what's after that? Like what, It's right. the thing that makes you special. Yeah, exactly. It's the thing that defines you. Like, hey, here's my buddy Zane. He's also a wrestler. Yeah. Right. Like, that's how I introduce him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but then how do I say, oh, this is my buddy Zane? So what's so special about this right. what guy? Is, you know? What's he all about? Yeah. yeah. So every time you wrestle, do you feel, like, when you guys, so, Jake, you were saying you feel, like, you know, spent and, like, you've kind of earned this pain. But, like, as you wrestle, do you feel, like, every time you wrestle, do you emotionally, kind of that disturbance you're talking about, is it, like, Amplified or is it processed more? Or is um, it... Well, actually, like uh, whereas Jake feels like when he beats himself up mm-hmm. that he was he was successful in the situation. Uh, when the weekend is over for me, and not because I have to go back to my real job or anything, because I actually enjoy my real job, mm-hmm. it's fine. Uh, but I feel that like like my big goal is to like leave it Boy Scout rule, leave it better than you found it. Right. And so like I always have that feeling of. It's a little bit better because I was there this weekend. I told someone something or so forth and, yeah. and so on. But when the actual drainage of it goes away, it's like it's very depressing. You're just like, fuck, now i got to wait another weekend to do it. And then it becomes kind of bitter. Like, why the fuck am I even doing this anymore? And then it's this big cycle. And then I go and do it again that next weekend. And I start over high and then get low. And uh, I just 
I don't know. It's it's very. It's, I I end up feeling more depressed come Monday. Yeah. Than anything. By the time it kind of falls out of you. Yeah, you just kind of fuck, and yeah. then you then come like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you have to kind of go from like extreme bottom depression to start to kind of work your way back up. Right, you gotta rub it back up. Gotta okay, here we go, here we go, and then Friday's cool, and then Saturday's the shits, and Sunday's kind of whatever, and then it just starts all over. Right, so, like a well, cycle. A different type of roller coaster. Yeah, that's interesting. I something I also appreciated from watching the movie is. Because um, I feel like it's very easy to make fun of wrestling and people who are not involved in the sport are like, it's, you know, they have a kind of comedic view of it. But I was like, there's also like, like you said, you're looking at those crowds. And I'm like, everyone's like, oh, it's so dumb. I'm like, there are a lot of people mm-hmm. who want to see it. And I feel like wrestlers also like kind of, it's the same thing with stage and performance where it's like they're being like you guys are being the versions of themselves that people wish they could be mm-hmm. you know what i mean when somebody talks about that in the documentary where it's like where you see someone actually be like i am a person who can do this and mm-hmm. like i feel like wrestlers kind of are like special in that they you know the average person watching it like is like yeah you know like they tap into something really primal that like it connects everyone mm-hmm. which i think is really cool um and I appreciated more after watching this and talking to you guys. I, you know, because last time we spoke, we weren't talking about uh, wrestling, but we were talking all about you. We were talking about comedy. And and comedy and yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool. Good. But any any other questions? Um, no, I think you answered. I I knew heel. What's the opposite of a heel? Because a heel is a villain, is what I call them in my brain. Uh, <laughs> like baby, bad guy. baby face. It would be a good guy. Okay, or like a champ. Um, I think that's it. I'm just going to look over my little notes. Yeah, I don't have any other. Oh, I did have a little questions about training, but we don't have to talk about that. I don't want to get nitty gritty, but like, because we're talking about, you know, we laughed about the doctor line about that's how you do it. But like, how do you actually like, what did you guys do to what are your training backgrounds? Just, you know, you, you basically got to do it. It's like, here's the move, how you do it. And it's repetitive, 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 repetitive. Yeah. And do you guys, because there seem to be like two camps of like, athletes who are like this guy can wrestle and knows like the sport of wrestling and then there's like the flashier like showmen who are like more about the entertainment side do you guys have a preference for oh showmen showman. oh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> hurts way less yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody went the same way and like the the wrestling so the training part there as far as they showed it the moves and whatnot is really just the easy part that's right. the simple stuff you know, anybody can I can show you how to fucking body slam Jake and you do it and it's done and that's how it is. Yeah. Right. Then you just gotta the, just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Like if you just did the same, learn how to do a body slam like a language. Every, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's the it's the psychology of it or uh, the the psychology of knowing how to properly brand yourself or how to actually make the money. And that kind of stuff is where you go from being a hobbyist to an actual professional wrestler. Yeah. yeah so like I said, learning a language. You can learn mm-hmm. how to speak Spanish, but uh, in the sense of pro wrestling, that's like going to Mexico City, uh, moving down there, being immersed, and then having to deal with all the laws, yeah, and then yeah. and tell you like, not only are you now in Mexico City, you have to make X amount of dollars to survive, right? You know, like, well, then you fucked up because it's pesos, yeah. And then you gotta add that up, and then you're just completely immersed in this language and the nuances and the culture, and you gotta deal with right. all of that, and just deal with the travel and this, and deal with all of that. You can, you can barely order food at Taco Bell in America, let alone going down to. And you just feel like a moron. Yeah. Most Spiral, the shame spiral. Yeah. Exactly. But, but we digress. Uh, <laughs> but digress, digress. But anyways, before we get out of here, Glennis, um, 
please let you have a live microphone. You're a performer. Let people know if they're like, hey, she's an awesome girl. I want to know the things that she's doing and you know, shows you're producing and all sorts of things. Please plug, say whatever. So this is uh, that time for that. Sure. Well, I'm an improviser and I work with Improv Charlotte and we perform the third Saturday of every month at the Charlotte Art League uh, over in South End. Um, and then I will be doing a show called Women Playing Hamlet. I will be doing the To Be or Not To Be monologue, which is very exciting. Um, in March with Donna Scott Productions. And you can find all of that if you go to my uh, Facebook, Glennis O'Donoghue. Okay. I'm there. All right. uh, Zane, what do you got? Uh, I will be in Hickory, North Carolina, Saturday night from Milestone Wrestling. And I uh, will be in Madison, North Carolina for TNT Wrestling, also on Saturday, but at like 2 p.m. There's a church fundraiser or some charity fundraiser. I'm going to be someplace I don't belong, and then I'm going to wrestle, and then I'm going to go to Avery. Okay. I will be hosting at the Comedy Zone December 13th through the 17th. So on Tuesday night, uh, I'll be able to cap myself set up and be like, hey, I'll be here all week. And that <laughs> won't be a lie. <laughs> uh, I'll be here all week, which would be a fact. And then, of course, that Sunday, December 18th, PWX, I'll be wrestling Broken Matt Hardy at the Cabarrus Arena. So make sure you check that out. And of course, I got some other stuff in January and those other things. Uh, but, you know, as always, follow me on social media. But if you want to know more about this show, if you feel like we got it wrong, if you feel like we glazed over something, please, 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 please tweet me at Manning or send an email at jake at sslshow.com. Also, too, make sure you visit the website, howdidthisgetbooked.com, especially for How Did This Get Booked t-shirts and Man Scout Manning merchandise. Also, too, make sure you subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Also, too, we're available on Google Play. Hopefully, you already know about that because you're listening to this podcast. But please do also subscribe to youtube.com backslash Man Scout Manning. And also follow on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com backslash Man Scout Manning. It's been another edition of How Did This Get Booked? Woo! This has been a DSCT.TV production.